You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Well, welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley, and you are here, I guess, for your first or your continuation of weekly tech tips to help you make better use out of the tech around you. Joining me is Ben Stegner. How are you doing, Ben? I am joining you, and I am doing uh, quite well. It's, I feel like it's been a while since we've talked, so always enjoy when we get to uh, it, catch up. Yeah. You know, there's always something exciting to talk about, right? It, it Well, yeah, it is a while since we talked uh, for us, but for the listener, it was the last edition, so... That is true. I guess I need, I need to be thinking about uh, how, how people are listening to us, not how we're recording it. I'm, I'm, I'm spoiling the magic. I'm showing what happens behind the curtain, right? Absolutely. Yeah, last week's show was a compilation of uh, pieces that we hadn't yet used, uh, which gave me the opportunity for a well-earned break. Well, I say it was well-earned. Ben may disagree. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll give you that. That's good. I'm, I'm, up, I'm up with that. Uh, so a quick catch-up. Have you had a good weekend? Yeah, it's definitely fall here, so or autumn. It's definitely... Uh, um, it's nice. We had it was, I went camping with my family uh, about three weeks ago, and it was like a pretty cold weekend then. And I'm like, oh no, it's already winter, but we're actually having like some decent fall weather. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because our clocks changed on uh, early Sunday morning, and it's almost as if as soon as that's as soon as that sort of clicks in, it suddenly feels just colder all of a sudden. Mo- oh yeah, more I, I, I totally agree. Like that, ours ours changed this coming Sunday, and it's like once that happens, it's just like it feels different. Like it just yeah. feels like winter. Like you're just ready to curl up and hibernate. Absolutely, yeah. It's strange what uh, just an hour's difference in time can do to you. So uh, we're here to have our weekly chat on uh, tech tips to help make better use of the tech around you, whether that be hardware, internet stuff, maybe occasionally kitchenware and we've got a couple of bits of news as well to cover we're going to kick off i think ben with the playstation 5 okay it's a good topic to uh to start off with yeah sony has announced that its supply issues have finally been fixed three years uh it's uh taken to get over this and there was a time where we had the issue with the scalpers selling playstation 5 for at least twice as much as you could buy them for i remember the first time i saw someone with a playstation 5 in a box walking out of a game store and i couldn't believe my eyes that no one was trying to mug him i would i would be scared to to do that um yeah. I, I was like i think i we talked about in the show more than once that i um i got mine directly from sony day of and it was shipped to me but yeah i would be scared to be like walking around when it was really hard to find one like it's like walking around with you know a, a bar of gold in your hands, like you're asking <laughs> totally, for yeah. someone to uh, attract some attention that you don't want. I had a feeling things were getting better because the uh, it's had so many names over the years. It used to be PC World, it's now Curry's. They recently started selling PlayStation Five in bundles. We suggested that they had quite a few PlayStation Fives to be selling, and they were going for around three nine nine for the basic PS Five plus controller, which is solid. The, the price you'd expect it to be out. So again, that suggested that uh, things were getting better. It's good to see. The thing is, I'm quite disappointed about the whole 
situation because I really wanted to get one, a PlayStation 5. And now three years through, I'm thinking, is it worth getting a PlayStation 5 today or should I just wait another three years and get a PlayStation 6? Yeah, that is kind of the frustrating part is that, I mean, console lifespans have been longer lately, but also you're right that it's, I mean, it'd be one thing if you had to wait, you know, nine months or a year, but yeah, three years, I mean, especially because the last generation had the PS4 Pro and and the uh, Xbox One X that were like the mid-generation upgrade. It makes you wonder if it's worth waiting or not. I mean, I'm curious to see if we'll see a Pro system. I mean, Sony just didn't announce that not like slim basically ps5 which has the option of like a removable disk drive which is cool but it's not like it's a pro model with better uh, specs so could see that in a year or two not 100 percent sure so it is kind of a gamble yeah it is it is uh, so if you've been after playstation 5 it should be reasonably straightforward for you to get hold of one now which is good news we chatted a couple of weeks ago, myself and Gavin Phillips, around uh, the topic of artificial intelligence governance. And as we speak, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. On Monday, the White House and President Joe Biden announced the most significant, this is their quote, the most significant actions ever taken by any government to advance the field of AI safety. Meanwhile, in the UK, a uh, big talk is taking place on november 1st tomorrow at bletchley park uh, a series of meetings hosted by prime minister rishi sunak that's how he speaks and uh <laughs> it's a bit moss from the it crowd if you're thinking that that is how he speaks yeah so yeah the whole idea about this is to uh, deal with concerns over ai the u.s measures include reports at the bbc uh creating new safety and security standards for ai protecting consumer privacy helping to stop ai algorithms discriminate creating a program to evaluate potentially harmful ai related healthcare practices and working with international partners to implement ai standards around the world and a lot of these these measures are along around around creating guidelines creating measures, bringing in rules. We mentioned this really, not really as a discussion point, but merely as a sort of a sequel to uh, the previous conversation that I had with Gavin. Ben, do you have any particular concerns about any of this? I mean, we wondered whether it might be a little bit too little, too late, you know, sort of shutting the stable door after the horse has been round the track, shot, sold as dog meat. Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't have a super strong feelings on it. I, I, funnily, I think that the most significant actions ever taken by any, like AI's only been a, I mean, it's been a thing for a while, but like they're saying that as if, you know, if this has been a thing for like 20 years and they're like, this, we're finally taking a stand for this technology that's advanced in the last year. I just think it's funny the way they phrase that. I think this would have made more sense like a year ago before, yeah. you know, chat GPT and everything really got big. I mean, it depends on, I guess it affects, you know, like what, like AI that's in development right now. And that has been for months. Like, how does it affect that? Are they going to like stop what they're doing and make sure that it complies with this? Like how, like you said, is it too late because so much is already in progress or are we so early in what AI is going to become that, we kind of had the first wave of things and now everything else has to comply. I'm, 
it's just yeah. such a new I know field it's, it's, it's difficult it's, to know. It's a, it is a problem that it has to be reactive. Yeah, right. The, the, how like obviously the, governments, in, like you know, five years ago, governments weren't spending time talking about this because it wasn't, I mean, obviously AI in some form has existed, just not like it is now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it has to be reactive. It is a shame it has to be reactive. They've known for, you know, since these experiments with um, ChatGPT commenced a few years ago, that, you know, these large language models were being developed. But, I mean, I said, there's always the argument that, well, they didn't know how they were going to be used. And I suppose there is a degree of that. But, or, or, you know, how, how big they would become, how widely they would be adopted and so quickly... I guess we'll never, I mean, we won't ever know what the alternative would have been. The The fact that they are thinking about this is at least encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I guess what you, th- you have to think with the government, with any government, not just the US government, like, there's always a million things to think about. So, like, even though, say, in the tech world that companies were thinking about, you know, if they wanted to, say, write their own code of conduct for how AI would be used three years ago because they saw it coming, like that's that makes sense, but like the government has eight million things to do all the time. So even if they knew that this might be coming, they're not going to take time away from what they had to be doing, you know, three or four years ago exactly. to think yeah. about this when it would have mattered more. So, and I'm sure it'd be hard to write a policy that made sense and was uh, comprehensive enough when we didn't even know what AI would look like at that time. So yeah, it's kind of like a like you're always playing catch up. There's no way to really get ahead of it. Well, that takes us to the part of the show where we uh, look at various tips and tricks and discussion points and uh, guide you through various ways you can make better use out of the technology before you. If you've uh, ever had hard disk drive that you've moved away from or that you felt that was uh, reaching the end of its lifespan it's pretty important to get the data off it it's not always easy to do i have collated a list of six methods that you can use to connect an old hard drive and get data off it i'm going to quickly summarize these because there's a as i was looking at this earlier there's something that came to mind that i wanted to just Throw my mind back to and have a little chat with Ben about it. See if you ever oh, okay. came a little bit of behind the scenes discussion here. Yeah. So there's uh, six ways we've got to uh, get data off an old hard drive. Number one, connect it to a PC using a special USB adapter cable. That might be uh, an adapter for SATA or IDE slash parallel ATA drives. And these usually come with their own power supply as well. I've got one not so far away from me, which I actually use not on a hard drive, but on a an old, what's it called? A, a, a zip, an iAmiga zip drive. But it wasn't a zip, it was the other iAmiga thing, which was basically a removable hard disk drive cassette. Um, I had oh, some okay. of those, uh, which I wanted to get data off successfully. So these these little uh, SATA IDE to USB 3.0 adapters are really useful. I, and they're also pretty inexpensive. You can pick one up for about $10. I would recommend everyone has one, just on the off chance. Another method you can use to get data off an old hard drive is to hack an external hard disk drive, which basically uh, means opening it up, taking the disk drive that's in there out, putting your disk drive in, and then hooking it up to your PC and copying the data off. Another way is to, similar to that, is to use a 
uh, USB docking station. That's also an option. Again, that's something that you, if you've got a lot of hard disks, it is something that you might consider uh, having and keeping hold of. They usually fit the modern 2.5-inch drives, whether they're hard disk drives or SSDs. And some, some of them also support NVMe and M2 connections. Right. They'll also often support the uh, five and a quarter inch SATA drives as well. You could simply install that hard disk drive into your PC or laptop as well if there is a secondary bay that you can use and then you know copy the data off to where you need it and uh, off, off you pop. That's the end of uh, your relationship with that disk drive. Now, the thing I wanted to mention, which... Uh, it's kind of number three in this list, or number two in this list, which is um, building your own external disk drive. There was a, I can't remember what it's called, and I know I wrote about it, and this, it's somewhere on make use of, but it might take quite a lot of digging to find it. Uh, a cardboard hard disk drive external enclosure. Made out of cardboard? The, was that the, was, was that part of the Nintendo Labo for the Switch? No, 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 it predates <laughs> that's what it that. Like. <laughs> uh, no, it predates that. It was basically, I can't remember how it, I came to have it. I imagine it was like a review request or something, or James Bruce might have pointed in my direction or something like that. So basically, it is a sort of a book shaped piece of cardboard that you assemble yourself and it has little struts inside. Cardboard again for your hard disk drive. And then the necessary uh, electronics to then connect your hard disk drive to a to a computer. Does it, so is it? Does it have any advantages other than, wow, that's made out of cardboard and it looks funny <laughs> or it looks cool? You can store it on a shelf. That's it's it's a conversation piece and it blends in with your <laughs> books and other yeah wall not wall decorations your other bookshelf decorations. Okay, I've never heard of that before. That's pretty unique. Uh, do you know what I found it? Okay, the it was released in 2011. It was by a company called Byte Pack. There is a YouTube video that they provide, or that someone shit, uh, someone put on YouTube. We used it in an article. I got one myself, and it, oh yeah, the other th great thing is it has little cardboard flaps for the uh, <laughs> when you put the drive the in power it. connector. And the oh, okay. data connector, yeah. Um, but yeah, essentially it is a piece of cardboard shaped, you know, book-sized cardboard with the um, necessary um, <laughs> bits of cardboard inside to stop your hard disk drive flopping about. And then, uh, yeah, you just keep it on the shelf. I actually made my own, demonstrated the making of my own using an Amazon book envelope. Oh, okay, yeah, huh. You can have a little collection of uh, drives made out of unusual <laughs> yes. materials, cardboard uh, and plastic. Yeah. That kind of I reminds mean, me of um, when I used to use Google Fi, the phone provider. They would occasionally, around Christmas, they would send you like a little gift for being a subscriber. Right. One year, it was a little like Lego. There were a couple different ones, but the one that yeah. I got was a Lego. Um, it was like to hold your charger. So like okay. there were two little gaps so you could like feed your charger through. And if it like it wouldn't like fall off your table kind of thing. And there's right, a little compartment right. you could put like an adapter in just a little, you know, fun little thing. That kind of reminds me of that, like an unconventional little tool for the job. Yeah. I'd forgotten all about this until we were just reviewing these uh, things that we were going to talk about today. I thought, 
The cardboard. I don't even know where it is. I must have it somewhere still in a box somewhere, at least one of them. But, uh, yeah, you can write on the... Because it's a very boxy thing. You can write on it and say what's on the disc, etc. So it has that kind of... It has that sort of library element to it. Yeah, you have to send me that video or send me a picture of it. I'm just I'm curious how it looks. I can't really visualize it because it's not something I've heard of before. Sending it to you now. So that's that. I mean, yeah, the link I just sent to Ben, you will also find in the show notes so you can uh, check it out for yourself. We're going to move on now to the Raspberry Pi. Now, the Raspberry Pi 5 has been announced. It is on its way. I've got mine ordered, and uh, because I ordered mine at a specific time on the first day, I've missed the initial run, so I won't get mine in October. I've got to wait until the end of November 2023 Mm. for mine. I know one or two of our colleagues have already got theirs. Um, All the best to them, is all I can say. Um... (laughs) I've compiled a list of 20 awesome Raspberry Pi projects that anyone can do, and these are suitable for the majority of Raspberry Pi models. I'm going to go through these very quickly. I'm going to highlight a couple that I've um, added. So you can replace a desktop PC with a Raspberry Pi. That sounds insane, but it's absolutely possible, particularly if you're using a Raspberry Pi 3. Uh, sorry, particularly if you're, using, if you're using a Raspberry Pi 4, although the Raspberry Pi 3 is good enough. Uh, you can use Raspberry Pi as a printer, bring in an old, uh, an old printer that isn't wireless or a printer with broken Wi-Fi card online over USB. You can cut the cord and install a Kodi-based media center. You can use it as a retro gaming machine. So many retro gaming uh, hardware projects are based around the Raspberry Pi or similar SBCs. You can use Raspberry Pi as a Minecraft game server. You can use it to build a stop-motion camera. You can build it uh, into a time-lapse video camera as well. Incredibly, you can use the Raspberry Pi to broadcast on the FM band, which is illegal, so don't do it. But, you know, (laughs) crazy. Um... (laughs) You can use it as a web server. You can use Raspberry Pi to host a library of audiobooks. That's a new addition to this list, which I think is really fascinating. It can be an inspiring digital photo frame. The Raspberry Pi can also, again with the camera module attached, photograph the night sky. You can use it with NEMS, that is the Nagios Enterprise Monitoring Server, to monitor your network or any network that you should care about. It can be used as a Raspberry Pi Plex server. You can get closer to nature and recognize birdsong with a Raspberry Pi using software called mm. Bird Pi, uh, BirdNet-Pi. That's a new entry. It's turned into a chart rundown, isn't it? Uh, you can learn how to code on a Raspberry Pi. You can stream Steam games to a Raspberry Pi. Uh, so it essentially replicates what the Steam Link box did. It's the same as the Steam Link on Android. Pretty much, you have Steam games run, uh, on your PC. You can stream them over your network to a Raspberry Pi, to any TV that the Raspberry Pi might be connected to. You can build a smart mirror with a Raspberry Pi. You can install games on the Raspberry Pi without emulators. And another new entrance, you can build a Raspberry Pi NAS, that's a network-attached storage device or network-attached server for your personal data. And that's only 20. This list could be at least twice as long if not five times as long we've we've kept this pretty tight for you but there's so much you can do if you've got a raspberry pi you can do any of those and many more projects 
So I don't know if I've told you, but I, I bought a Raspberry Pi years ago. I pretty All much right. only learned what they were because of um because of people at the site and I haven't really used it that much. Uh, I'm ashamed to admit, I guess, but um, <gasps> I did initially try to set it up as like a retro game platform. Like I that I could put some games on and then like plug it into my TV and play yeah. like super Nintendo games or whatever there instead of on my computer. Um, I set it up and then I just, there were other games I wanted to play. So I, I didn't really use it too much from there. So I know it can do so much, but I've definitely underutilized mine. Well, it turns out, I haven't really mentioned this in this article, there are a few uh, operating systems that have been uh, adapted to run on the Raspberry Pi without Linux. So uh, the Risk OS, the classic Risk OS, that will run on the Raspberry Pi without Linux. The I don't want to call it an operating system, but it essentially is an operating system. It's just a very basic operating system that underpinned the um, the British computer, the ZX Spectrum. That will also that can also be installed bare bones without Linux as well. There's a few of these okay. uh, sort of bare metal operating systems for the Raspberry Pi. So there's there's a lot more that you can do with the Raspberry Pi beyond what I've even spoken about there. And of course, you know, there's the there's the classic thing that the Raspberry Pi can do. The, the sort of uh, running your own space program with a weather balloon and a Raspberry Pi and some. Uh, mobile phones uh what, what you know, gps radios or what have you so yeah so much you can do with a raspberry pi it is uh it is such a excellent little gadget i don't know what i'm gonna do with the raspberry pi 5 when it arrives but uh, i imagine i'm at least gonna see if i can run uh what, what what the most recent video games i can run on it yeah, that's like a good like stress test. Like, yeah, how how far back do you have to go before games be, are still like fully playable on it? That's it. That's exactly it. That is the stress test for the Raspberry Pi. Well, you're right on time for recommendations time, dear listener. It's that part of the show where uh, myself and my co-host for the week uh, recommend something for you that we feel may be of some interest, even vaguely, maybe as a gift, maybe for you personally. Do you want to go first or should I go first? You go first because I flipped a coin backstage and said that you should go first. How about that? Okay. I wasn't there for that, but uh, okay. <laughs> so I have... Uh, I have a little bit of a bugbear with uh, Evercade cartridges. They're very difficult to get hold of in the UK, or, well, anywhere, really, unless you're buying online. I went to a uh, shopping mall nearby recently. Well, I say it's nearby relative to where Ben is to me now. <laughs> and they don't have them on the shelves. You've got to ask. So it's a bit like going into some sort of sleazy liquor store. I was going to say for the, for the Evercade, it's like a weird thing you have to ask for. Yeah, it's not like it's so like a 18-plus you know, game or something. No, yeah, but that's how it feels. That's how they make you feel. Like, the, 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 I mean, short of putting it in a paper bag. Yeah, like you feel like you're so buying not contraband. not scare the sensibilities of anyone watching. It's a, it's, it's, it's a very weird situation. Anyway, so the Evercade... <laughs> C64 Collection 2 is, consists of 14 games from the 1980s. A couple of things about this. This is the second of these volumes. This has, a, I feel, a better mix of games with regards to... A better games and publishers mix, I should say. But neither of these have any of the more recent Commodore 64 games on because, incredibly, games for retro systems are still being developed and released by indie game developers. 
So uh, this game, ha- uh, this cartridge, 14 games, California games, street sports, basketball, Slayer, World Games, Uridium, which is a bona fide shoot 'em up classic, uh, Zar- oh, shoot up, uh, yeah, space shooter classic, Zamzara, Impossible Mission 2, Cybernoid, Insects in Space, Pit Stop 2, Nebulous, Mission Impossible, Sword of Far Goal, and Fire Lord. Now, of those, I have tried, and remember this. On the other case, you basically got a D-pad and buttons, and these games originally were for uh, single five-button joystick setups. Uh, Pit Stop uh-huh. 2, Cybernoid, and Iridium so far I have played, and I've been absolutely blown away by how uh, how well they play on the other case. I've mentioned this before with a different gaming platform, with the the adaptation, the, the, the port of the Turrican games, which were Amiga versions and Mega Drive versions to the Nintendo Switch, how well they played and how perfectly they sat within the control mechanism of the Nintendo Switch. And I thought that was a very important part of getting the port of classic games onto modern hardware. Now, the Evercade EXP really is basically an SBC uh, running a very slimmed down version of Linux with emulation software on top. Uh, but it feels almost like... Uh, They've done a better job with C64 Volume 2 than they did with C64 Volume 1. Now, of course, they didn't. What's happened is <laughs> they issue updates over the air for this device. So when yeah. I've uh, inserted the cartridge, it's already had all the necessary updates and tweaks and patches required to uh, make the games run as well as possible. But uh, it's just really... The, the Evercade platform's going from strength to strength. They... Duke Nukem games are coming out. Duke Nukem 1, Duke Nukem 2, and Duke Nukem 3D are coming out on Evercade uh, in November. Uh, there are a few um, original Evercade-only releases as well. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, really doing well. So, uh, yeah, great games collection there for the Evercade. This came out a few months ago. I've only just recently got hold of it. But I, we will be talking about Evercade again because I do have the Duke Nukem games on order. I was going to say, I was looking at this list of games, and I don't, I mean, as we talked about before, the Commodore 64 was both before my time and also not as popular here, I think, as it was in uh, in Europe. So yeah. I'm not too familiar with most of these games. I was going to say, like, it's kind of crazy that they had both Mission Impossible and Impossible Mission 2. Like, those both feel like copyright infringement, but then I realized <laughs> those were before Mission Impossible. Um, well, no, because there's a TV I've... series of Mission Impossible in the 60s that had uh, uh, oh, okay. Leonard that's... Nimoy and a few other people in. So Okay, that's that's betraying my ignorance of that again. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I know California games. I don't know if I've ever really played it, but I think my friend had it on NES, so I've, I've right. heard of that one, but the, the rest are, uh, are new to me. So, yeah, I'm glad it's a good collection. Yeah, so my uh, pick is uh, kind of a, a an obvious one, I guess. If you if you know my recommendations, Super Mario Brothers Wonder uh, came out on October twentieth, ah. so about ten yeah. days before we recorded this, and it is quite good. Uh, it's the newest two D Mario game, and it is for the Switch. And if you know two uh, D Mario, so there have been four games, um, not counting the Mario Maker series, which just build around. Um, creating your own levels, obviously. Sure. Um, there have been four new Super Mario Brothers games, uh, DS, Wii, 2D, uh, 3, 3DS, and then Wii U. And they're all fine. I mean, none of them are bad games. They're just very samey, and Nintendo played it very safe with them. Like, they're, they're all fine on their own, but, like, to play them all in a row would be, like, deja vu. So Mario Wonder basically kind of 
reinvents some of that. I guess it's probably too strong of a word, but it's a really just clever and creative game. I remember reading before it came out that they gave, they told the developers like, take as much time as you need and we want to not like reuse anything we've used before for this game. So the two newest thing, the two biggest new things in the game are there's a power up that turns you into an elephant, which is pretty clever. Yeah. Um, you swing your trunk to attack and then you can suck up water and spit it at enemies and you're bigger. So you push things faster. And then the big, the biggest new feature is that every single lever level has a wonder flower that you pick up and it changes the level in some kind of way. So I don't want to spoil any of the best ones, but um, like, for example, there's some levels where let's say like there's one level where you turn into um, sorry, there's one level where there's these creatures that like suck up Goombas with their mouths. And then halfway through the level, when you find the wonder flower, you turn into a Goomba and then you have to navigate around and dodge them. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that it transforms the levels. Like you have to climb the stage or you turn into some kind of creature. You never know what's going to happen. So it has that very, like every level has something new kind of set up. Um, you also get badges as you play and you can pick one badge to equip and it gives you some kind of benefit, like being able to use your cap to float in the air or, um, a, a power ups always becoming a certain type of thing or like an extra, uh, spin jump in the air, that kind of thing. So, um, it's really solid. Um, it's probably up there in my top three 2d Mario's. I still think super Mario world and Yoshi's Island, if you include that in the, in the list, um, it's probably better, but Mario wonder is really great. It does support four players. Um, and there you can play, there's four different colors of Yoshi and there's also a character called Nabbit and they're kind of like the easy mode where they can't use power-ups, but they also don't take damage when they get hit. Um, so if you're playing with uh, a younger sibling or your child or whatever, that's a great option for them. Oh, so yeah. it's not super difficult either. Like there's a few challenge levels at the end if you want to go for those and they're a little bit harder, but overall it's just a nice charming it's it's very charming there's a lot of fresh ideas in it it's just fun it's a good time it's a it's a solid 2d mario that uh i definitely recommend whether you know you're thinking about a christmas present for someone or just you enjoy platformers it's definitely worth playing i'm happy with it so yeah i uh, i finished it uh, yesterday I okay I finished the extra world so it's not very long but there's a, there's a lot to enjoy okay i uh i mean I, my my uh my son's very keen on mario games so uh, we haven't I haven't got to buying that yet because we're a little bit behind. But uh, we just got the uh, Rabbids one. A few oh, yeah. Ago. I do want to play the second. The first Rabbids game? Or the, the first one? one. The first one, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that game's great. I'm not a turn-based strategy. I haven't played too much of. And I usually end up... Like, I enjoy it at first. And then once it starts getting complex, I get overwhelmed and just stop. That game I really enjoyed. Like, I'm not a Rabbids fan at all. But that was, like, a good mix of, like... Ubisoft world and like Mario, like it was a nice mix. I really enjoyed the strategy. It never got too frustrating or overwhelming. So I, I, that's a great, that's a great game. I think you'll enjoy it. I want to play the second one too. I haven't gotten around to that yet. I, uh, we, we still also need to get hold of, we haven't done this because he's, he's only, he's kind of really only just parting ways with his Nintendo Wii U. So we haven't bothered with okay. Mario Maker 2 yet, but uh, that's going to be on the, uh, on the doll's face shortly yeah mario maker 2 is great i mean there's um there, the nintendo built some um like like there's a basically like a campaign in that where they build a bunch of levels so you can play through those um and then of course all the levels people make online they're although done... it's probably a good time for psa that if you have got the original mario maker on the nintendo wii u 
the games that you will, uh, yeah, the levels that you uploaded aren't going to be there forever. There's actually a group of people trying to power their way through them all before the uh, servers are closed down. Yeah, that's a shame. I wish, I'm pretty sure, I don't know about Little Big Planet 3, which was a similar, like, make your own level type of game for the PlayStation 3 and 4, uh, the, play, the Little Big Planet series. I'm pretty sure when Little Big Planet 2 came out, all of the levels in the first game were playable, like, like levels that people had made. Yeah, I assume that's the case with levels of two going into three. So I wish Mario Maker was like that because it's going to be, I mean, obviously there's a lot of junk, but it'll be a shame that like someday that game's just like the whole point of the game is like not playable. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it really? Yeah, it's it's a, it's yeah. like we talked about game preservation before. It's a sad thing to think about. Well, on that sad note, that brings us to the end of this week's really useful podcast. Everything we've discussed you will find in the show notes that accompany this podcast in most places. Uh, otherwise, you'll find them at makeuseof.com. My name is Christian Corley. He's Ben Stegner. If you're feeling uh, in any way generous, please leave us a positive review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, really. We benefit from positive reviews. That helps us very much so. And if they're five stars, we'll read them out. Just let us know. We'll be back for a new show next week. Until then, it is goodbye from us. Goodbye from us.